listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. This last weekend I went to a conference and uh, it was about uh, wisdom and technology and how wisdom and technology meet or might meet in the uh, years ahead. And it was fascinating listening to people who have kind of been working with this, uh, you know, this idea, how, how, do we, how do we bring this stuff together? How do we use what we have now, this, this massive network, and use it to be a force for good? Uh, to, dis- to disperse things that are wise. Uh, kind of came up. And there's all sorts of really cool stuff that was discussed, but one of, the, one of the main aspects of this, one of the things that I found most fascinating was this idea of um, authenticity and living fully. And if we can do that, if we can live from a place of depth and authenticity, then any type of filtering that technology might have uh, becomes quite trivial. Meaning that if uh, groups of people are getting together online and they're doing so from a place of uh, deep, deep commitment, deep presence, then everything kind of takes care of itself. And there has been this debate for quite some time, you know, how is it that people could possibly, you know, uh, experience any type of uh, broader group or sangha if they weren't actually together in the same room. And this, of course, has been this fantastic experiment that we're trying here, you know. We have this, uh, this event every Monday and people then kind of, kind of show up and we have kind of the live performance and then we have the recorded stuff that people can download on the net. Is it effective? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But this endeavor to live fully, to be uh, as a practitioner, to be a practitioner from a very, very full space, uh, does some amazing, amazing things. Now, while this may sound really kind of esoteric and out there, I think it's really important for us as, uh, as practitioners. I've discussed time and time again how the great shortcut to awakening has kind of a three-pronged approach, it seems. One is that there is some type of person that you have in your life or people in your life that can help keep you on the path, on the spiritual path. In other words, they... They say the right thing for some reason at the right time, or they you know, kind of say, ah, try this or try this. That there is a teaching component to someone, at least it, if it isn't formal, at least that there is some degree of uh, experience on the part of, of someone, someone that you admire, someone that you have watched kind of go through something. Uh, 
uh, along these lines. It's really helpful, it just speeds up the process. The second thing that speeds up the process that we touched on last week a little bit, and we'll go through this some more, is uh, the uh, teaching. Is there a teaching that actually takes you past where you cling and puts you into a space where you can open, where you can let go? So we've got the Buddha or teacher or highest self, and we have the Dharma or truth or teaching. And then the last one, which I kind of want to play with a little bit, is the Sangha. Sangha means group. And we are all here as a group. Some of us know each other, some of us don't. Okay? Some of us uh, have had absolutely no spiritual training whatsoever. Some of us have been kind of into this for some time. But when everybody kind of comes together and there's a deep similarity in the goal, uh, man, there's a tremendous power in that. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced the difference between meditating at home alone and meditating with the group. It's just this bizarre kind of shift that kind of occurs. Um, how it works, it's a mystery. And quite frankly, I don't care. <laughs> Fact is, it just seems to happen. And to the extent that Infinite Smile can create that offering where whether you are a beginner or a seasoned vet, there is a space for you that allows for not only the teaching, but also the teacher, be it me or anyone else in this room or anyone else that you ran into during the day that gave you something that kind of, you know, uh, rocked you a little bit, that the Sangha can create this beautiful container where you can be fully present. Where you don't have to do anything to impress. In fact, doing stuff to impress keeps you small in this context. Just being is kind of the ultimate. So I wanted to share with you uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, writing in relationship to this uh, that uh, I, I put in my uh, in the book. Uh, this isn't a plug for the book as much as it was just a really cool reminder. As I was kind of going, every once in a while, I'll just kind of open up to a page, and sometimes I've, as I've said, I go, oh, "That's not so bad." And other times I go, <laughs> "You know." Uh, this was uh, this was. This was, I think he's trying to get, get in. We can let him back in. Yeah, if you have to leave the room for whatever reason, please know there'll be somebody to let you back in. You are not uh, <laughs> cast out. <laughs> Go worship with the Christians. <laughs> of course you can. That's fine. We're really good with that. <laughs> Lee, do we need a key or something to open that up? Don't worry about it, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> so what I did is I, uh, uh, I was opening up the book, as I mentioned today, and I was thinking what I had kind of the, the thought I had in my head was, you know, how is it that we can bring um, kind of attentiveness to uh, what it is that we do? And uh, here's where I landed on my, on my cool little Kindle, which, by the way, man, are these things cool. They're really... <laughs> Not that I'm attached or anything, but don't, don't you try to even touch it. Anyway. <laughs> a mental and physical orientation that leans toward living fully shows up in our experience as a weaving together 
of wisdom and compassion in every single thing it is that we do. Our full attention to the present moment and whatever it offers is wisdom. While any of our participation that is guided by this full attention to the present moment is compassion. Putting these together, like hands meeting for prayer, allows for a different kind of relationship with the circumstances of life. All things that come from this meeting of wisdom and compassion become holy and celebratory. Our participation from this place is the unfolding of our ultimate life. In this spacious unfolding, all things become recognized as miracles of the universe's constant creativity. And from here, there is nothing left to do except smile and bow. Before we begin tonight, just as kind of a refresher, uh, uh, and plus for anybody who hasn't, uh, hasn't sat formally before, this is pretty basic stuff. All you got to do is we, we turn around. And the reason why we turn around in this tradition, this comes from my, uh, my Zen schooling. Uh, the, one of the great patriarchs of Zen, Bodhidharma, uh, it, it is said that he stared at a wall for nine years, nine years without flinching. And he got so uh, upset when uh, he would start to sleep. That, and this is where it gets gruesome. Uh, he, was so, he, he, would, he would start to sleep and he wanted to be present the whole time, so he, um, uh, he tore off his eyelids. And this is why when you see sculptures of Bodhidharma, you see a guy who has this horrific, just a deeply frightening uh, look of bulging eyes and evidently had a horrible case of malocclusion. So he may have been related to a Habsburg or something, but there's that kind of... <laughs> So he has this horrible, <laughs> this horrible look on his face. But anyway, so he stared at the wall for nine years. And the reason why he stared at the stone wall was because facing outward distracted him. The beauty distracted him. The wall, at least, helped him focus. And this is one of the areas where we want to provide ourselves with, you know, like I said, kind of a container where we're alone and have some privacy facing outward. But we're also all together. So this is a very kind of benign way and traditional way of doing that. We face out, and then all you need to do is just sit still. And this is, of course, easier said than done. But there are a couple of things you can do that can anchor your work as a sitter. Basically, the first thing I would recommend is if you find that you're not kind of dropping into meditation, um, there are a couple of tricks. The first one is making sure you follow your breath. Okay? Is it an inhalation or an exhalation? Okay, and if you find yourself wandering off, gently bring it right back to the breath and count your breaths to five. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, all the way up to five. If you can do that, then start over, do it to five again. The minute you get good with five, go to ten. You go to ten, count to ten, and then start at zero. You will find, most likely, that there will be a, a settling and a calming and a clarity that begins to arise in your mind. At that point, uh, one of the great, great experiences and uh, great teachings is to actually begin to watch and experience the stillness as fully as possible. Watch what uh, comes up in the form of thought. Is it a memory? Is it a judgment? Or is it a plan? Those are the only three things that ever show up in your mind. A memory, a judgment, or a plan. When you see something come up, 
you know. My Starbucks barista today was a jerk. Judgment and memory, right? And all you do is you go judgment and memory. You don't go judgment. I hate it when I do that. Because now you've put a judgment on a judgment, okay? And you've made it that much heavier, okay? Instead, just say, wow. Whoa, man, huh? Let's see what the next thought will be. And you wait for the next thought and the next one, and the next one. And you'll notice that there's this space between these thoughts. And I always call that the yellow brick road. Follow that. Follow, 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 follow that yellow brick road. And see where it takes you. I guarantee you the Oz that shows up isn't anything like you would ex expect. But it nonetheless is there. It's waiting, okay? It's our true nature. It's that aspect of ourselves that is free from any and all clinging. It's always already right here. So this meditation, in essence, is kind of like an invitation to really, really just settle down. Take this time for yourself. No one's going to, you know, ask you for anything. No one's going to demand anything of you. It's just take this time to be. Be a human being, not a human doing. Okay? Shall we? So as I was mentioning, one of the great aspects of, uh, or one of the great shortcuts, I should say, on this path, one of the things that keeps us, keeps us true, so to speak, keeps us, keep us, keeps us in the right direction, is when we have a group that uh, we can sit with. Now, I say this as somebody who, um, uh, I don't like groups very much. Uh, and perhaps that's why we seem to remain healthy. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, as I started my, my spiritual journey, I really wasn't interested in bowing to anyone or anything. Uh, I wasn't interested in any teaching that uh, was particularly challenging. And I certainly didn't want to be around a lot of people. Um, so how the heck did I get here? I don't really know how it works. Again, one of the great mysteries. But all of those reasons for me to keep everything kind of at arm's length and so forth, it was actually a way for me to try to manage the entire experience or put another way for my small self or my ego to try to control the experiences affiliated with awakening. I wanted to be in charge. And um, I think there's some real cool stuff associated with this for any of you who find yourself in a similar situation. For any of you who kind of like, you know, boy, I almost didn't come tonight. Uh, I'm not terribly into, you know, meditation, but the thought it would be cool, but I'm uncomfortable. That's a really actually totally normal thing and actually sets you up in kind of healthy ways. 
uh, to allow this or any other teaching in and then simultaneously through. One of the aspects of uh, Sangha or the group that I misunderstood was that I, as I started my, my journey, my journeys, I guess I should say, uh, was that I looked at the group as basically a, a bunch of, you know, crutches. Uh, if you're going to do this, you got to do it alone anyway. So why do you need anybody else with you? And what I uncovered was that the presence of others helped amplify all aspects of the teaching and its delivery. It acted as a container. It acted as a giant cosmic hug, that there was this ability for other people to resonate with teaching in similar and dissimilar ways, and that interplay actually allowed stuff to kind of open. I was really uh, amazed also at how a lot of the, the people that I began to practice with seriously after I kind of let my, check my ego at the door, uh, uh, and I kind of allowed this, this practice to start to unfold, what I started to recognize is these people were not necessarily folks that I would hang with on a regular basis, but they were people that I trusted with my life, in that we were all kind of trying to do the same thing. I didn't know any of their phone numbers to speak of, except a couple, you know. But I felt like I knew them at a level of intimacy that was really, really quite beautiful. We were all in this together, and we all knew it. And we all brought stuff in and took stuff out of it that was different. But we also were all there to support each other in some weird way, even if it wasn't conscious. One of the cool aspects of Sangha is that group doesn't stop with just a group of practitioners. We can have... Uh, a sangha, for instance, that extends to our neighborhood. That's a form of sangha. Our bodies are entirely made up of organic material cells. We are a really cool and complicated sangha of cells. That's what each one of us is. We've got this sangha that we call the United States of America. We've got this sangha we call all ocean life in the Gulf of Mexico right now. We have the Sangha that is global, okay? And so Sangha really has no boundary. Neither does teaching, and neither does your highest self or Buddha. It's all infinite. And if we want to put this in the Christian parlance, Christ consciousness is infinite, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost have no boundary either. Okay. They actually fit quite nicely together in some respects as long as we don't cling to the words, but we recognize where they're pointing. The, uh, the idea of Sangha or group is actually, if we were going to break um, the energetic polarities of awakening down, we might say that that's much more of a feminine polarity. The Sangha is much more of a feminine, it's group, it's holding. Okay. It's uh, a sangha is something that is gathered, okay? It is the embodiment 
of compassion, the Sangha. Wisdom, on the other hand, might be your male polarity. And wisdom, where you have uh, uh, compassion, is this activity that is infinitely caring, is unbounded and so forth. We might look at the masculine polarity as being one of observational clarity, depth, focus, drive. You know, it's fairly easy for us to kind of look at these different energetic qualities. And we can also see how if they get out of balance, if a sangha is out of balance too much towards the masculine polarity or the feminine polarity, what you tend to have is a deep confusion and always looking to work with that balance carefully. Or, and when I say that, I mean that purposefully. With care is a really, really important thing. You can find sanghas, for instance, that are all about the, this love, loving kind of you know, compassion thing. Um, and there may not be the, uh, the fire that burns with wisdom as much. And that's, that's good because it's very loving and it's also very, very comforting. But what it doesn't have the chance to do is burn away the clinging that the ego puts into place. In other words, people start clinging to the group. You know? In other words, the Sangha becomes this almost like a club orientation and they, people can lose their way. It makes them feel comfortable. They kind of like coming because they like the group, but it has much less to do with the work at hand, which is awakening. On the other hand, if you go the other direction and you have a group that is too bound by, you know, discipline, rigor, backbone, spine, kick-ass, high-octane dharma, I mean, that can be really alienating for people. So in the Zen tradition, we said it splits along two ways. We, we called it the Zen of the ancients, which is kind of the kick-ass, high-octane Zen, or the, you know, the just, mm, you know, let's meditate more, you know, type thing, you know, yeah. Or you have the other, the other direction, which is the, uh, what they call grandmother Zen. And if you have a sangha that's bent on grandmother's end, which is, oh, you don't want to sit today? I, I, it's, that's fine. Okay. Actually, they become Jewish. Yeah, I, you know. <laughs> Jewish grandmother's end. <laughs> you, <laughs> is it too early today? <laughs> too early for, you're tired still, hon. Okay, yeah, a little more tea? <laughs> <laughs> So, so we, have, we have these polarities that in order for us to really get anywhere, we need both of them present in fairly equal doses or at least in a way that allows for the shift to be felt. And um, one of the things that, that, I mean, and I say this as, you know, somebody who's part of a, a sangha, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we want to be careful of as a group too. Uh, I know I have a tendency... Um, as a former water polo coach, everything. Actually, one of my former players is, is sitting right over there. I don't mean to embarrass Valerie, but she was she was a great player. But anyway, um, and you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time yelling on the pool deck and so forth at these precious angels. Was I really brutal, or was I? I was okay. You 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 haven't been scarred by the. She's here. She's here. I know. I know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea that, I mean, I know that that's, that tends to be one of my energetic pulls is going kind of into that space. Like, come on, guys, let's go. And 
so for that to be have a counterweight, to, at least to a certain extent, where it's like, you know what? We're a group. We need, we need to feel comfortable. We need to feel, it's actually really healthy. It's been a, a, great, a great teaching for me, having the Sangha resonate in ways that actually bring about that care. You know? And it's actually helped me, helped me become more caring. I swear to God, I'm more caring now. <laughs> But making sure that that balance occurs within your own heart and mind. That there is part of you that is really all about compassion. And that there's part of you that is all about wisdom. And that pulling these two things together, these two aspects of the work together, putting them together just so, allows for the surrender or the bow to take place in a way that isn't a bow to somebody. It is a bow to what is holy reflected in the other person, which is exactly equal to what is holy in you. It informs the bow differently. Without physically doing it, you can walk through your day bowing to each and every single gift that you've got, each and every single tragedy that comes up, each and every single challenge becomes this opening into your true nature. What goes beyond your ego, or what I sometimes call the, you know, the big self. Instead of the small self, which is limited, which struggles, which resists, which judges, which is kind of identified and locked into mind, we go into a space past this frothy edge into an opening that is all about clarity. That is all about knowing with a capital K. Knowing that goes beyond I know. It's just there. It's being instead of doing. It's open instead of closed. It's unattached instead of clinging. And what helps us get into this space is um, a really, there's, there's a really powerful energetic component that every single one of you can just, you know, over the next couple of weeks or so, try this out. And as a Sangha, we can help reflect it in each other. And that is face everything. Avoid nothing. Do not avoid any aspect of life. Face it with your full presence. The kind of presence you are able to kind of at least approach maybe on your chair or on your cushion when you're with the group, when you're with the Sangha, when you feel most supported by the Sangha, when you feel the least judged, when you feel just embraced kind of by this agape energy. Okay? When you feel mothered by something that is birthing something beautiful in you, Okay, and it's conscious. At that point, what you can do is recognize, I do have the strength to face this life fully. And in doing so, what happens is, we start trusting, believe it or not, that the universe will give us exactly what we need to awaken. Exa precisely what we need. Maybe it's a relationship we know is supposed to end, but we keep hanging on. 
And now we have the courage to kind of just let go and then see what happens. Without rejecting, we open. Maybe it's something we've been fighting internally for years and years and years. And what we've done is we've actually given ourselves, with the Sangha's help, a little bit of space surrounding this issue. We're able to look at it with a deeper clarity and so forth. We're able to, in essence, instead of burying it, holding on to it, we're able to kind of bring it out in the open and look at it, face it, without flinching. And this is how we evolve, not only as human beings, but when we do it collectively, we evolve as a species. More and more and more surrender. And so as much as the Buddha aspect of this whole shortcut analogy is about the, the wisdom, the strength, this first-person recognition, realization, come on, guys, that type of thing. And the teaching is this, you know, encompassing uh, uh, breadth of teaching that really spans tradition. It goes past tradition. It transcends tradition. And the Sangha allows for all this stuff to take shape. If we can face everything and avoid nothing without being too aggressive, and without being too passive, if we can create that balance, find that middle way, what we're actually finding is that truth beyond name and form. And we're bringing it into our experience as we move through our day, as we floss our teeth, as we play fetch with our dog. All of this is available. And it's not an easy thing to do alone. It is so much more um, uh, uh, potent and indeed powerful when we can begin to kind of share the work with others, even though we may not necessarily share uh, beers with this, you know, the group all the time. I mean, maybe it is something you do. I don't know. I mean, we do have pizza and beer night every once in a while. But that it's deeply personal, in other words, as a way of getting us into this impersonal space. The Sangha is what actually helps support that. So as much as I, I'm kind of talking around it, I think I'm expressing as best I can a deep gratitude for each and every single one of you who's shown up tonight and every single one of you who has ever walked through these doors. Um, you're helping in ways you can't imagine just by showing up whether you contribute, you know, money or not isn't the issue. The fact is you brought your presence. And that's a gift. It's what creates Sangha. It's what allows the teacher, the teaching, and the teaching to show up. It's what allows the teacher and the teaching, whoever the teacher or teaching might be, it allows for it to actually begin to find fertile soil so that it can grow within you. And if it grows within you, it's something that can be shared. And if it's something that can be shared, now we are becoming the change we wish to see in the world. I don't know that there's a more sacred gift than that. Oh, wait, sorry, I'm trying to get a drink there. And I'm
watching what comes up. My question is, the stuff that comes up, is that um, tending to be random? That would be A. Or B, is it more um, that we're in that very deep, quiet space that perhaps that creates an opening for um, the universe to come in and maybe like a higher power or something inform us? Could it be that B? Could it be C that um, it allows us to become more self-aware in the sense that um, we might be able to see what we've been avoiding? Could, is it that? Um, is it none of the above? Um, What's choice E? I want to know what choice E is. <laughs> there is utter, complete, and total chaos that in when we are really at rest, when quietude really begins to settle the mind down and the body down, that chaos is experienced not as something that's distracting, but something that is indeed totally informing. And we see that it has no quality. The chaos itself actually shows up almost as something that isn't there or is empty. We begin to see space between our thoughts, right? right? And that spaciousness between our thoughts has no qualities to it other than a felt sense of peace in this body, right? That felt sense of peace in this body is not emptiness. It's pointing us directly towards it, though. Now, this is really deep, okay? And if it, just, if it doesn't hit, please don't worry about it. But it's like what, what we start recognizing is that spaciousness is always already there. It's that the mind is going too fast or that the body is twitching all the time so that it can avoid that space because guess what isn't in that space? The ego is, can't exist there. Why? Because it is the now. It is the present moment. It is totally open. It is without aspect. Okay? So as we begin to kind of, if you will, uh, begin to rest in that spaciousness, all the randomness that, you know, might, you know, or any cause or condition that might throw something our way, suddenly is seen through. Whatever is thrown our way is seen as a cloud in the sky. Is the cloud substantial? From this perspective, it is. You ever flown through one? Right? And we begin to see our lives from that altitude. In fact, we become a big sky mind. And in that spaciousness, very little can show up as going wrong. What shows up are situations that need our attention. And when that perspective will shift, you know, when, 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 when we start shifting in that direction, you know, from, oh, this sucks, or this is a problem, or this is awful, into opportunity, 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 right? And every one of those is an opportunity for what? You got it, okay? Now that you got it, you need to let it go, okay? So whether it's random or whether it's the higher power or whether, I mean, all those I'm sure are, are you know, equally valid. But I don't know that they're anything other than an explanation that the ego can then hang on to, right? It sounds like you're um, describing it's more of a shift in perspective. Mm -hmm. And how do you hang on to that? Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, to tag along. 
on to her question. Um, you know, if you're dealing with everything, you're avoiding nothing, and you're being open, and you're looking for the spaciousness, what if being open, um, life just seems to suck your whole life? Force out of you repeatedly, and you go, okay, there's an opportunity to dodge it. No. <laughs> yeah, that would not be the teaching. <laughs> that would, yeah, okay. Right. Um, but in um, being really open, I, I can truly tell you, I just feel like life is sucking it out of me. Yeah, life is sucking, so sucking, wait, wait, wait. Life is sucking what out of you? My energy. Life is sucking your energy out of you. That's what you're feeling like mm -hmm. whenever you're open? With what's going on. With what's going on. So in other words, when you're, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to cut your question out because I want to hear, hear the rest of it. I just want to make sure we're really clear. As you are starting to open more, you're fe feeling vulnerable mm -hmm. at deeper and deeper levels, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. So continue. Or is that it? Well, the two main events in my life. You know, I'm not talking about the events. I'm talking about, tell me, let's, get, let's let the question begin to... Well, the question is, how do you deal with life when it's sucking you dry? It's really what I'm you ready? Every time I open, it's like I got this. Right. These two situations that I can't get away from. Right. You can't get away from them. In other words, they're going to be there, mm -hmm. right? And when you open to them totally, you feel like they're going to annihilate you. In some capacity, they're going to exhaust me. They're going to exhaust you. Okay. Suck you dry. Right. So I don't feel like there's any wisdom in that. There's no wisdom in that. <laughs> right. That's exactly what the ego thinks. Okay, so here's here's your your job, and give it a shot as best you can, and then we'll, let's talk about it. We'll set up a dokusan appointment or something. I want you to let it suck you dry. Totally, completely, 100%. Let it destroy you. Let it annihilate you, and you'll find something really interesting. You'll find that you're still there. You'll find that it didn't wipe you out. You'll find that it didn't destroy you annihilate you. In fact, that it didn't is the miracle because what's left is true. You realize that you have spent all this energy and all this time defending against a false threat, a threat that is mind-made, a threat that is clung to by the mind. And the only way you're ever going to see that is if you kind of start dancing with it a little bit more. But they're real. I mean, if you have a child, I'm not Daddy, saying, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. I mean, that's real. Right. So if you're open to that hunger, what are you going to do as the daddy? If you're open to that reality, what are you going to do as the daddy? Okay. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. You need to be in a space, and this is where Sangha comes in. Mm -hmm. I mean... All of us can recognize what you're talking about. Is It resonates with each of us as something that we've all either faced or will face. Maybe not the specific situations, which are just ultimately on the surface. What's real is this sense of dread, of foreboding, of I can't let go because if I do, the shit's going to hit the fan. So just go ahead and let go. Yeah, and then watch the shit hit the fan. Okay. And you'll see it turns into this beautiful Jackson Pollock. Spiritually. I don't know where I said that, but but you liked it? Thank you. Yeah. It's, essentially, what happens here is what the, what the teaching is about, it's, it's about facing, facing that and just going, ah, I'm here. 
and then we let the demons kind of come up and you know and and I'm not I am not moving that was the Buddha's that was his move when Mara came at him okay in your case you got two real beautiful faces of Mara coming at you and what was the move I'm not moving but I'm here I'm right here okay. that's perfect, that's perfect? <laughs> okay all right yeah Michael yeah Uh-huh. You just simply show up. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Be present. Just show up. Do not avoid. Yeah, just, just show up. Because the minute, Claire, we start picking between, I want that and I don't want that. With the minute we're doing that, what we're doing is we're living a life that is predicated on clinging, on attachment. Instead of facing our life as it is, instead of making friends with the world and this life as it is in this moment, we pick and choose what we will take and what we will not. And then we're bound by seeking pleasure. I'm and if, not so sure about making friends, but I am sure about showing up. <laughs> well, guess what? If you show up, if you show up totally, the friendship arises spontaneously. With, with the Mara. Yeah, Mara. You recognize Mara as one of your great, you know, great teachers. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, one of the things that we don't like doing, especially as Americans, especially as suburban Californians, especially suburban San Franciscans, is A, we don't like being told what to do, and B, we have very fixed ideas as to what should be happening. Okay? Right. Well, and so what happens is say, figuring out what we should be doing and what should be happening, and this is the picture I want, you know, whatever, those are just attachments that we then, if we have enough perspective, if our stillness can kind of show up and we can begin to see all this stuff play out as clouds in a big sky mind, we start bringing this depth of presence into whatever it is that we face. And then we recognize that whatever we feel is absolutely totally right is indeed a partial story of reality. And that gives us compassion. We start seeing that the person who is our enemy, our sworn enemy, no, they're not. They're reflecting something deep and beautiful that you need to uncover within yourself so that you can meet it with your full attention without flinching. Deciding you hate someone is just a flinch. It's a refusal to face what they're reflecting in you. Be friendly. Simple-minded observation. Simple-minded observation. <laughs> it just kind of occurred to me that we're often criticized for not being there, and and, and nobody ever gives you any credit for actually being there. Mm -hmm. But but they'll point to you and say you weren't there. And in, so it, in it, relationship it, to your life, clarify that for me. Anything, in anything. Because uh -huh. you are often remembered for not being there, either whether it's physically being there or just being there for support. Yeah, yeah. That, and you know what? That goes right, right to what we talked about in the beginning. Uh -oh. well, Can I'm you? Out there coughing to death. No, I know. <laughs> we were there with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you're, what you're saying, is that it's about showing up. As Claire was pointing, it's about being exactly. right here, yeah. right now, without moving. Exactly. And once we do that, okay, <coughs> and we begin to have the support of a group of people around us, 
and we begin to have the support of a teaching that encourages that exact non-move. And we begin to have a teacher that can kind of say, what, 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 what? Yeah, that's kind of what occurred to me just uh, There you go. Simple. Welcome. <laughs> and welcome to all of you. Thank you for coming tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah.